Great to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on the Canandaigua campus, part of the online community, or uh, our Hopewell campus. Before we jump into the message, I just want to give a shout out to one of our mission partners here in our community, uh, Karenet. Uh, New York State Senator Pamela Helming uh, came this past week uh, to represent the state of New York to uh, give them recognition uh, for their work during the, uh, I hate to call it this, but the COVID season. Uh, and, and, and caring for families in our community. And so they were recognized by our state for the work that they do. And CareNet is a ministry that, that we support. Uh, we have people who are part of their board here uh, for Park Crosswinds who, who serve uh, as ministry partners there, and we financially support them. So when you financially support what God is doing at Crosswinds, part of that money goes to CareNet. Um, sanctity of life is something that we believe highly in here at Crosswinds. The scripture speaks highly of it. Every life matters. And Care Night is a ministry uh, here in our community that, that expresses that in so many ways. Parenting classes, uh, they do it through, uh, through caring for people in the times of their pregnancy. Um, they do it in, in, in many ways. And during this COVID season, for instance, they made sure that families had diapers and formula. And they did a diaper and formula drive that they were able to, we were able to host that for them because of being able to have a campus where we're able to do such things. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to our CareNet mission partners and just say how proud of uh, you we are and our prayers. And uh, we continue to, to be honored to be able to come alongside you in ministry. Well, here we are. We're in our second week of our series, Metamorphosis. Uh, we're studying Romans chapter 9 through 16. And if you're new to us, you may be wondering, why did we start in the middle of the book? Well, last fall, we looked at Romans 1 through 8, and so you can go back and, and either catch up by watching the messages or just through reading through the Scripture 1 through 8. But we looked at chapter 9 last week, and we're going to venture into chapter 9 this week. Again, we're, we're calling this series Metamorphosis. It, it really comes from a word that Paul uses, not just in Romans, but elsewhere in his writings, this Greek word metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis from, this idea that when we come to Christ, that not only are we saved in a sense we're made right with God, but through the power of his spirit, he transforms us. He transforms us into the character of Christ, the love of Christ, the purpose and priorities of Christ. This is the work that God does in us. So this week, as we venture into chapter 10, we're going to be looking at what, what, what is God's salvific plan to reach people. All lives matter. All lives matter to God. And so what is his plan to reach people? And what's our responsibility in his plan? What is, what is my responsibility? What's your responsibility as believers in this plan that God has? Another way of to ask the question is this, whose job is it for people to come to Christ? And so Paul's going to look at that. Now, I came across many years ago uh, this account from the life of, of William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army, but speaks to sort of the heart uh, of God being sort of put in an individual, one of his followers, for those who have yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. William Booth one day was walking into a city, and as he was walking in this particular city, he, he was stopped. He just stopped and was looking at the people passing him by. And the way he describes it is that the Lord sort of took him to appear, not physically, but just sort of mentally, as he was standing at this, this, this corner of the city, He's taken to this place where he sees himself on this pier. And on the pier is a choir, a church choir singing. And, and on the pier are Christians fellowshipping with one another. He looks off, off the pier into the water, and the water's rough. And he sees thousands of people, and they're drowning. 
like they're treading water. Some of them are already under the water. Others are, are, are trying to get oxygen in their lungs instead or are getting salt water. And he, he, he looks and he notices that those on the pier, the choir, the church people fellowshipping, and himself were not paying much attention to those who were in the water drowning. And it became very clear to him what this vision God had given him was all about. And he realized that he had spent way too much time in recent years within the walls. And when I say the walls, we understand that the church is God's people, not a building, right? But he saw himself spending too much time within the walls of the church and not enough time out where the people were who needed Jesus. And he made a commitment that day to to reverse that. Not that he wasn't going to spend time with believers, but that he was going to notice those who have yet to find Christ. His life was going to be focused toward being a a messenger of God to those who have yet to hear the gospel. And of course, the Salvation Army is a ministry that's reached hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people uh, since William Booth founded it. William Booth made this statement. If you've been around here, you know this is one of those quotes that always just sort of touches me deep in my my soul. Uh, William Booth is the one who said, God has had better men than me, but he has had all of me. And and I just pray that God will have all of me. God has a wonderful plan to reach the world with his loving grace. And his his plan, his, his divinely inspired plan, interwoven within it, is this need for for human participation. So we're going to be looking at God's plan and the role that we have to play in it. But first, let's look at his plan. What must someone do to be saved? Well, listen to what Paul writes in Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The the gospel message is salvation by faith in Christ. And I love the way that Paul writes it, inspired by the Spirit. It's as near to us as as believing in our heart and confessing with with our mouth and available to all who hear it. Uh, he uses the word Lord here. And for those of us who have been around the church a long time, we, we, we talk about the Lord often. When Paul wrote this to the Romans, though, he would have wrote it, written it to him in Greek. He would have used the word kyrios. And, and what's interesting is he, he used the word for Lord that the Greek uh, Old Testament, when the, test, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, He used the word Lord that was used for the name of God in the Old Testament. So when you looked at the Greek Old Testament, what I mean is the Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. The word Kyrios that Paul uses here for Jesus is the same word used for God in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's also interesting that this word Kyrios that's used here also in the common Greek vernacular was a term you would use to address someone who was higher in social status than you. So Paul, in using this word, saying to to receive Christ as Lord is to receive Jesus as God, to realize that Jesus isn't just a good teacher or a good person or a prophet. Jesus is God. And, And if anyone deserves this title of Lord, it's Jesus. Notice what it takes to be saved. 
The person must trust. They must have faith. They must believe. These three words in Scripture, believe, trust, and and faith are all tied together, like one describes the other and what it means to receive Christ. And, and so what must someone do to be saved? They must believe. Everything else is discipleship. They must believe. What's belief look like? I touched on it a little bit last week. We were talking about an airplane. And I said, I can't stand up here and explain exactly how an airplane works. And I can't. I'm sure some of you can, but I can't but I believe enough to fly. Like I've, I've, I've flown many times and, and belief is sort of an action word. Like you can say to me, do I believe airplanes can fly? And I could say to you, well, sure I do. And you'd say, well, how often have you trusted one? And I could say, well, I've never flown. Or you could ask me, which is the truth? Do you believe an airplane can fly? And I'd say, well, absolutely. And you'd say, how many times have you flown? And I'd say, many, many, many times. I've gotten on the plane, I've trusted it. You say, what's that have to do with belief in God? Well, we can say we believe in God, but belief is an action word. When we place ourselves in his capable hands, that's belief. Now, understand this. I don't think any of us in this room have done that perfectly. Okay, maybe you have, but I bet the person next to you hasn't. And so we place ourselves in God's capable hands, but how many of you discover in your faith journey that belief is, is, is a journey? Like you're, you're trusting and yet you're learning to trust. And so it's not perfect trust, but it is trust. It's belief. It's understanding who Jesus is and saying, Jesus, I need you to be Savior and Lord of my life. You die for my sins. You're resurrected for my Savior. I believe in you. What must someone do to be saved? They must believe. Now, who can be saved? Well, look at Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice that the language in Romans 10, 8 through 13, it, it, there's some intimate language there. It, it speaks of the heart. And, and I believe that Paul wants each and every one of us to understand that becoming a Christ follower is not merely an academic deduction. Now, don't get me wrong. We are to engage our mind. There's truth in the gospel that we're to understand. But it's not merely an academic deduction. Christianity is not a mere philosophy, but it's a personal decision to enter into an intimate relationship with the living God. I mean, just think about what we're offered in the gospel. We are offered to walk in intimate relationship with the God who spoke the universe into existence. Like we're adopted as his children. He is our father. It's remarkable. I mean, it blows my mind to think that why would God, why would God care so deeply for me? Why would God care so deeply for you? Because he loves us. And I've had people ask me, well, how do you know God loves us? And you know, if you've been around, because he's shown us. He's shown us. He's shown us that he loves us by dying on the cross for our sins, by being resurrected for our salvation, by giving us the opportunity to come for it come to him. And here's the amazing thing is that salvation is available to every single person who receives him. Now, by the way, you could do a deep dive, like a word study. You know what I mean by word study? Like go into the Greek and find out when Paul wrote, used the word everyone there, what did it really mean? But I'm going to save you a lot of time. It just means everyone. Like it was a common word used for everyone. So when Paul says everyone who believes, he means every single person. 
Like I've had people say to me, you don't understand what I have done. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. And here's the reality. I don't want to be rude. I'm not, not saying that I don't want to hear your story. But I'd rather hear what God says about you than what you feel about yourself. So when you say, well, God can't, I'm here to tell you God said he can, and he's God and you're not. Don't let your own self-talk keep you from the God who loves you. I've had people say to me, I can't come to God because, because people don't believe in me. My parents didn't believe in me. Other people, I don't care what other people have said. God says he loves you, but you are as precious to him. He gave his life for you. Believe what God says about you, not what you say about yourself, not what others say, not what the enemy says. By the way, he's a liar. But the God of truth says everyone who believes will be saved. Who can be saved? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now, based on the offer of this this God who's come to rescue us, Paul declares there's a need to send special messengers. Special messengers. In fact, the Christian church in the first century AD was in part characterized through their preaching. The commentator, Atemeyer, he wrote this. He said, the Christian movement was launched and nourished by preaching. In the tradition of the prophets, John the Baptist and Jesus came preaching. The 12 continued this function, and Paul understood his primary task was to preach the gospel. Now catch this. He, write, he writes, while certain persons were designated as evangelists, the whole church, the whole church shared in the proclamation of the gospel. Therefore, when we look at the scripture and the history of the church, we're to understand that there was some preaching that was done by a select group of people, evangelists and teachers and pastors, but in another sense, it was considered the responsibility of every single believer to share the gospel of others. In other words, when we talk about preaching the gospel, we're not just talking about what I'm doing right now in front of you. There is a general preaching that happens in every conversation we have with people throughout our community, within our households, within our neighborhoods, within our workplaces, within our schools. So how does someone know how to be saved? Look what Paul writes in Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful were the feet of those who preach the good news. Now in context, Paul's really carrying over a theme that he was writing about in chapter 9. Remember in chapter 9, one of the things that Paul tackled was his understanding that Jesus came to the Jewish people first. He was born a Jew. And he had shared himself with them. Some had received him, but most had not. But Paul says they did not receive him because they didn't hear the message. They heard it and chose not to. And so Paul, in, in Romans 10, 14 through 15, what is he doing? He's, he's letting us in on God's salvific plan. He says God has a plan. He has a message, but he sends messengers, that's every single believer, by the way, into the world sharing the good news so that people will hear it. And then it's their responsibility whether they'll receive it or not. 
Our responsibility is to share. It's their responsibility to choose. And God is the only one who can save. Paul's, uh, an account from Paul's life is written in Acts 20, 25 through 27. He's standing before the Ephesian elders, and it's a church that Paul was very instrumental in seeing built and developed. God used him in a magnificent way there. He had a deep love for the Ephesian church. But God's now taking him to Jerusalem, and Paul realizes that the path that God is leading him on, that he'll probably never see his Ephesian friends again. And so look what Paul says as it's recorded for us in Acts 20, 25 through 27. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the gospel will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is saying, I've shared the gospel with you. This is Acts 20, 25 through 27. But it's in the same thought process that, God, that Paul writes Romans 10, 14 through 15 about the necessary element of a messenger delivering the gospel to another human being. And here we really see human responsibility and God's sovereignty once again sort of intertwined with one another. That Paul acknowledges that salvation is due to God's sovereign work. God is in control. You know that, right? Like his plans won't be thwarted. But Paul has this extreme high view of God's sovereignty. But it doesn't stop him from writing of this, of this human responsibility, that we're a part of God's plan. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he, he shares a message. And again, we see God's sovereignty and, and human responsibility, Acts 2.23. And Peter's preaching. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. In other words, Jesus came for a purpose. It wasn't by happenstance he went to the cross. It wasn't like God had another plan. Jesus got caught. He went to the cross, and God said, well, I can use that. From the very beginning of time, the cross was part of the plan. So by the foreknowledge and purpose of God, uh, Jesus was handed over. And, and you, he says, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. From the beginning of time, God chose the cross because he loves us. But it was their responsibility, and you're in mind. We nailed him to the cross. It was our sin. So we have God's divinity, and we have our human responsibility. We have God's sovereignty, and we have our choices. We clearly see this, this contrast and connection between the predetermined plan and foreknowledge, and, and we nailed him to the cross. And I believe Romans 10, 8 through 15 speaks powerfully to, to this interconnection with God's plan and speaks powerfully to this understanding of what does it mean to reach people with the love of God? What does it mean that God is about world evangelization, that he's called his church to be disciple makers, that, that God's sovereign plan includes all people everywhere hearing the good news. Christ's last words to the, the apostles were that they would reach the world, that we as his church would reach the world with the gospel. I, I just want to make this clear. World evangelization, disciple making is the theme of the Bible. I could say that a different way. Not only is Bible the basis for missions, 
Missions is actually the basis for the Bible. Missions, being sent out, living sent lives, sharing the good news with those around us. You say, Craig, what does that look like? Well, let me illustrate it for a minute. God is seen in the Old Testament as a missionary God. So many other religions are about people trying to reach God's. Christianity teaches that we are in, unable to reach God in our own strength, so God came to us. And over and over again in the Old Testament, so we, we see in the Old Testament, we see this missionary God coming to Abraham, calling him out, calling out a people, setting him aside, setting him for a purpose. Jesus Christ in the Gospels is a missionary Messiah. Again, he didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. He moved into our neighborhood, so to speak with the purpose of dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation. The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is, is, is empowering a missionary movement. The book of Acts is about this missionary movement that the Spirit uh, inspires. In fact, it's interesting, one of the great motivators of the church reaching people with the gospel is persecution in the church in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, the people didn't feel it was safe there, so they scattered. The best thing that ever happened to the church. They scattered and they shared the gospel. When we look at the epistles, the epistles are, 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 are missionary letters, speaking to churches that are being planted all over and the work that God's doing in their midst. And Revelation is, is the consummation, is a missionary consummation. You say, Craig, what are you getting at? Therefore, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that world evangelization, disciple-making, sharing the gospel is God's sovereign plan, and that humanity is responsible for part of that plan. The Bible as a whole is about the God who rescues, and Romans draws us into this. Romans 10, 8 through 15 expresses the divine plan and human responsibility in, in, in no uncertain terms. So here you go. How does someone know how to be saved? They're told. They're told. Now let me camp here for just a second. What do I mean by they're told? Am I meaning just with words and and I want to say in Scripture, no, it's a whole life venture. There was a doctoral study done several years ago of two missionary groups that went to Thailand. Thailand is known as one of the toughest mission fields in the world. And so these two mission groups went to Thailand. One group, they, they called the converters. And their mission strategy was they were going to share the message of the gospel verbally with people, as many people as they could, in the time that they were there. Good plan. The second group they called the blessers. And the blessers took sort of their mission strategy from Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I have blessed you, Abraham, and you are to be a blessing to the nations. By the way, that's the theme over and over again in Scripture. As I have blessed you, bless others. And so the blessers said, we want a sort of more of a holistic approach to sharing the gospel we're not just going to share the message. We're going to verbally share it because we know we need to, but we're also going to live it. Like we're going we're to go into this community that God's called us to go into, and we're going to share the love of God in as many tangible ways as we can. And when he opens up the doors and people are asking, hey, what are you all about? We're going to share the good news with them. After two years, this, this study, that they came back and they measured two things. The first thing they wanted to measure was what was the cultural currency? if you will. How did each of the groups, how did they make a difference within the culture in which they were planted there in Thailand? The converter group, interesting enough, they couldn't measure a, a cultural currency. There was no cultural capital. They, 
They couldn't point out any areas in which the culture was different because they were there. The blessers, quite different. They actually could measure some positive impact that happened in the community because of their presence. The second thing they measured was how many people came to Jesus. After all, their purpose of going there was to share the love and message of Christ. The converters, to the praise of God, saw two people in two years come to Christ. Now remember, Thailand was, is tough soil. That's, that's a big deal. Two people come to Christ is something to celebrate. One person would be enough to celebrate. But the blessers saw 100 people come to Jesus. So when we talk about preaching the gospel, we're not just talking about speaking words, although that's an important part of it. We're talking about living the gospel. Saying, Lord God, as, as this metamorphosis happens in my life and you make me more and more uh, into the image of Christ's character and his love and his purpose and his priorities, may my home and my neighborhood, my workplace, the school, where maybe you're at, wherever I find myself, would you open up opportunities where I can live for Jesus so they can see Jesus, but also where I can also share the gospel of Jesus. I had a friend who said it this way, offer water to people, but offer it in the name of Jesus. Because, see, there's good people out there who offer people water who aren't doing it for Jesus, and that won't do anything for someone eternally. But the temporary offering of water can open up the door to say, your life matters to God. And give us the permission then to share the gospel. People need to see it before they hear it, and when they see it, they often will listen a whole lot deeper to the gospel. So how does someone know how to be saved? Well, they're, they're told. Back to Paul's words in Acts 20, 26. He says this interesting thing. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. That's sort of a weird statement. But he's speaking to them out of a specific passage in Ezekiel. In this Ezekiel passage, he will bring light to what Paul is talking about here in Acts, which brings light to what he means in, in talking about in Romans chapter 10. The specific passage Paul's referring to is Ezekiel 3, 16 through 19. Listen to what's written there. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman so that the house, for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Paul is using this Ezekiel imagery from God of a watchman. You have a watchman on the wall of a city, and the job of the watchman is to what? Well, be watchful, right? He's watching, and what is he watching for? Danger. And so the watchman is on the wall. He sees danger coming, and it's his responsibility to tell the people danger's coming. Now, if the watchman sort of sits back and says, well, they may not listen to me. The message isn't popular. They may get upset with me and decides not to. What does God say? Their blood's on your hands. You're a watchman, and you're not being watchful. But... If you're a watchman and you tell them, hey, look, danger is coming and they don't listen to you, they're going to have to suffer the consequence of their decision, but you're free. You have no blood on your hands. 
Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I, I shared the gospel. I lived it. I, I preached it. I'm, I'm free of the blood of, of all of you. I, I've shared it with you. He's saying, anyone who I've come in contact with, I've done my best by the God's strength and power. Not perfectly, but he's given himself to the Lord. I've done my best. My hands are clean. My hands are clean. I could do something, and I gave myself to God, and he used me to do something. Paul couldn't do everything, but the something he could do, he did not do. He did it. I was thinking back to my freshman year in high school. I was at a retreat center with my student ministry. I was 14 years old, and the retreat center, just as a side note, happened to be one of Al Capone's old hideouts in Florida, central Florida. And I always found it quite ironic that one of his hideouts had become a Christian retreat center. Like, God redeems everything, you know what I mean? God redeems everything. And, and we're at this retreat center. It was on this big lake, and I was out on the dock, and a few of my friends went out in the canoe, and I'd re- I had known that two of the people out there, I mean, they were all the good friends of mine, couldn't really swim real well. And I noticed they weren't wearing any life jackets, to which even at 14, I looked at it and thought, that's pretty dumb. They're in a canoe. They're out there. Sure enough, they do what typically happens in a canoe. They tipped. And without thinking, I just jumped into the water and began to swim out to them. I've always been a strong swimmer. God's given me a body that's built for buoyancy. And so I, I, I swam out as, as fast as I could and, and got to them in time to say, hold on to the canoe. Now, if you don't know how to swim real well, you usually panic. And they weren't holding on to the canoe. The canoe was filling with water, but it still was going to float. I said, hold on. And I was able to, to talk them through holding on until a boat came to, to save them. I didn't save them. I was just used by God to, to be able to, to make sure they could hold on to the canoe until someone who could save them got out there with the boat. And, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that as we were thinking about Paul's message, and I was, I was thinking about William Booth's vision, and, and, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, the world around us is really right now treading water. Like, like we're, we're the, the, in the sea around us, people were feeling hopelessness. Some areas that they had placed their belief in, they're finding really doesn't have the power to save them. I think our culture is, is in a bad place in one sense of the word is that we're divided and part of the reason we're divided is because we're looking for answers in places that don't have them. But, but we're also in a good place because people are looking around and saying, well, where is the hope? Like that's one of my favorite evangelism strategies. Francis Schaeffer, he says, let people come to the fallacy of their own beliefs. So when they at that place of deep hopelessness and are saying, where's the hope? As a believer, say, thank you for asking. Let me share you the hope I have in Christ. But here's the problem. If we just stand at the dock and don't look, if we don't do the something we can do, they're never going to come to Christ. It doesn't mean that all of us have to be great preachers. It doesn't mean that all of us have to know everything. It just means simply that, God, wherever you place me, I'm going to figure that I'm there on purpose. Like you may be saying, my, my home is messed up right now. You're there for a purpose. You may be saying, my, my work is messed up right now. Maybe you're working from home and you're saying, I'm so tired of a Zoom meeting. You know? I get it. But you're there for a purpose. When you're able to get out in the community, you know, mask and all, six feet apart, whatever, you're still there with a purpose. And God can use us in the way we treat one another, in the way we serve one another, in the way that we share the news of the gospel to one another. I've been praying, God, give me the same reckless abandonment you gave me on that dock that day. 
when I was 14. God, give me a sense of urgency. I, I don't want to be standing by unaware of the hurting. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to be unmoved that people are, are not walking with Jesus. In fact, when I think of my friends in that canoe, they were in desperate need of help, but they knew Jesus. And the people around me, many of them don't know the Lord, and they're going to enter into a Christless eternity if they don't hear the gospel. I mean, the sober mentality of how many times I've said, God, why aren't you showing up in a situation? Ever said that? And the reality of God saying, I did, you're there. Love them. Love them. We are his ambassadors. Let's not blame God for not doing his part if we're not, understand my heart in this, if we're not doing ours. The importance of the church being unified and, and the love of Christ is so that we can bring that unity into the community. The purpose of understanding how deeply loved we are and everyone is loved by God is so we can go into community and share that love with them. And, and here's the thing that blows my mind. Not, to the, not just to those who are like us or are easy to love, but people like us, who the scripture says, while we were still enemies of God, he chose to die for us. God loves the unlovable. How do I know that? Because he loves us. And sometimes, whether you realize it or not, you're not all that easy to love. I'm not. Not you, the person next to you, I know, but. Paul said, I'm, I'm innocent of blood. I want to be able to say that too. Like, like William Booth, I, I want to be able to see the people who are hurting and not just see it. Get in the water with them. I love the power of the gospel. God didn't say, clean yourself up, then come to me. Jesus came amongst, amongst the filth. He got dirty himself. Not through sin, but just by hanging out and being here and being born in in a stable, I mean, come on. He showed up. He showed up. For certain, God's word leaves no doubt that God has a specific plan for, that involves each and every one of us. But what's our responsibility? Whose job is it for people to come to Christ? Well, people are saved by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. That's offered to everyone. God has done all the necessary work for people to be saved. And let me be clear on this. We don't save anyone, church. God saves. You, you can't do that. That's only God's job. And that's good news. You're not God. That's a good thing. And I'm not God, and that's a really good thing for you. God saves. He's done all the work necessary for people to be saved. However, and it's a big however, he's invited us to be part of this salvific plan by being messengers of his grace, sharing his love in words and deed. In this sense, each of us has a responsibility to what? To know God and make him known. To know God and make him known. So I ask you this morning, do you know God? Whether you're here on the Canandaigua campus, Hopewell campus, online right now, in the quietness of your heart, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, won't you consider doing so right now? Thank him for dying for your sins, being resurrected for your salvation. Enter into that relationship he's created you. 
to be a part of. What must we do to be saved? We must believe. Who can be saved? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But they come to Christ because they're told. And if you're a believer this morning, would you perhaps prayerfully consider joining me and saying, God, you may have had better people than me, but Lord, please, I want you to have all of me. Use me to make a difference in the culture around me. Because I believe the metamorphous experience of the believer is not meant just for the individual, but as God transforms me, as God transforms us, he uses us to transform our community and our region. That the gospel brings people to Jesus Christ, but it transforms people. And the more people who have been transformed, the culture can't help but be transformed with it. That's where the peace and the power of God come. That's where the answer to the prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, becomes a reality. Every life is sacred to God. As we scatter in a few moments into our region, and we scatter as those who are sent, sent to know him and make him known, not as a burden, oh my goodness, as a as a privilege that God would let us be a part of his work. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love for, for every person in this room, every person who's watching online, every person on the Hopewell campus, every person outside the walls of this building. It, it, it's big to think of the fact that you love everyone that Jesus came and died for the sins of everyone, was resurrected for everyone. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who receives Jesus as their Savior and Lord is saved. They enter into a, a relationship with you, the living God. They're able to walk intimately with you, to know you and to know you and to know you. And, oh, Lord God, you are the answer. You're the answer in the sense that, that not... Now, it doesn't mean that the chaos is going to stop right away, but it, but it does mean that we can have peace in the midst of the troubles. It means that you will give us wisdom to take the steps that we can take. And, and it means that the way that you bless us, that you can use us to bless others. God, give us a heart for those who have yet to receive you as Lord and Savior. In the midst of us being transformed into the image of Christ, those of us who know you here this morning listening online, our Hope on Campus, Lord God, that, that you would allow us to be your messengers to those around us, not just in words, although, Lord God, we need to use our words, but in the way we live. May we be living examples of the gospel, of your love, of your power, of your mercy. God, would you do something in our region that only you can do? And thank you, Lord God. May, may we be faithful in being the, playing the part that you've called us to play. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first and so extravagant. In Jesus' name, amen.